that talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to the Friday Pod. Doug Lamarise from there, Stephen Beans. It's the game preview for Ohio State Penn State. We'll also talk at least a decent amount about Michigan State, Michigan, and also a game that I actually didn't quite realize was on the schedule for this weekend until I was looking through stuff that honestly might be for the West. Uh, it really might be Iowa, Wisconsin, Wisconsin is favored at home. And if Wisconsin beats Iowa, I guess they're not a guaranteed West representative if they win out, but they might be close to guaranteed. I would, they would certainly be the favorite. So that's a big game too. That affects Ohio state or Penn state or Michigan or Michigan state. So we'll get to all that. We do have our text or answers this week. I remember to send that out, which is good by me, Nathan, that this is the thing I'm wondering, this is where I get in the most trouble in my career in trying to analyze Ohio State. I traditionally probably am a little less um, assure, less sure that Ohio State is going to blow everybody out than, than some people on the beat. So we're going to offer try to offer some cogent football analysis. We're going to talk about some of the things that Penn State does well while acknowledging some of the things that Penn State does not do well. But I think it's possible we have entered the part of the season where it doesn't matter. That you can say everything you want to say about an opposing team's defense. And at least that side of it, it's like, well, this and this and that and that. And this is like anything like pre-Georgia. Yes, that all might be true, but it doesn't matter. Do you know what I mean by that? And do you think we might be approaching that with this OSU offense? Oh yeah, I definitely know what you mean by that because I think I'm I'm a little bit the same way as you. And then the really dangerous juncture is the week after you think they were going to play the team that was finally going to slow them down a little bit, and then they just just absolutely blast through them like a a, a rocket ship through those little paper things that the cheerleaders hold up that teams run through to get onto the field before the game or whatever. Um, and so so then you you convince yourself that like okay, well that was it. Now nobody's slowing them down, and then they they're playing a team this year, this week that's even better defensively. So, but I'm I'm sort of as we'll see with my prediction, I am getting there too, and it's not it's it's both sides of the ball seem to be syncing up at a really good time. But also, I think the most important thing is my impression of the rest of the Big Ten has also changed over the last three four weeks. I thought we we were dealing with a different reality three weeks into this season when you had several teams in the Big Ten that were surging maybe up and, and turning up towards something better than we thought they were going to be and then we had serious questions about Ohio State. It looked like Ohio State was trending back towards the pack and that this might be a year where it really had to fight to separate from the pack and then it is things have gone in a different trajectory since then. Stephen I feel like you maybe been creeping toward the it doesn't matter portion of the Ohio State offense more quickly than than Nathan and I were and then for them with your correct prediction last week about 45 points in the first half which sounded crazy to me when you said it and then they score 44 points and it's like well yeah like it didn't matter right and again we all we've already covered the fact that yeah the fact that Indiana lost quarterbacks and their offense was mm-hmm. non-existent certainly contributed to that but the bottom line was a lot of this stuff we said a week ago leading into Andy into Indiana and yes, their corners were out, but like it did like, honestly, do we think like, well, if they would have had Taiwan Mullen, then Ohio state only would have scored 21 in the first half. Like no Taiwan Mullen wasn't going to single handedly change that game. How close to you are? It doesn't matter. I'm pretty much there. 
I think to your point, if Indiana would have had its corners, I still think the score would have been 54 to seven. They just wouldn't have had 44 points in the first half. They would have had 44 points halfway through the third quarter. So CJ would have played two more series. I'm, I'm there already. And it's, it's, this offense is going to score. Even if you get a couple of stops here or there, it's also Ohio State's defense isn't elite, but nobody's going to score the way Ohio State's going to score. And I'm just convinced that Ohio is for the remainder of the regular season and maybe even the Big Ten championship game, Ohio State's going to score at least 40 points. And that I do think that's the word, Stephen, like elite, right? So I think you either have to have the elite, not just good, but the elite type of defense that is going to actually slow these guys down at all, or an elite offense that can score right with them. And Nathan, I, I think Penn state's defense is, is good. I don't know that they're elite. I don't know that Penn state has, and certainly their offense is not elite, right? Like this is a good Penn state team. I don't think they're elite on either side of the ball. And that's where the trouble is for them. Yeah. And it's what I've been saying for a little while. Like I, I think Penn state can make Ohio state have to drive more to get its points. I think it's less susceptible to just big gaffes that give up explosive plays. Like, like Steven was just saying, I think Ohio state does probably get to a big number last week at Indiana, even if Taiwan Mullen and Reese Taylor are able to play. And the other half of that equation is when you're I'm repeating myself, but when your offense is so inept and you're just giving Ohio state the ball over and over and over again, you're giving your defense no chance. So that's kind of how I see this week. I think this is a defense. This vet, the secondary is veteran and physical and skilled that Penn state has. I think they've got athletes that can hang with Ohio state more than what you've seen the last couple of weeks. You know, Maryland's two starting corners out with hamstring injuries and the two that were missing from Indiana gave those teams no chance. So in, at least Penn state has its personnel that it wants on the field, but ultimately does that matter as far as like you, you've got to, you, you've got to pair with an offense. It, it's, it's a microcosm of how we've looked at, I think the Michigan game the last few years, it's one thing that Ohio state's given up these or Michigan's given up points to Ohio state. And it's obviously got to play better defense in the, in that matchup. But the bigger problem is Michigan just hasn't been able to summon an offense that can keep up with Ohio state. And now the rest of the big 10 is in that same position. So this happens a lot with rankings. I'm looking at the SP plus rankings from ESPN, Bill Connolly. We reference them a lot. They, they are an interesting group of rankings. They maintain some recruiting stuff, some preseason stuff. I think some sort of base of talent metrics that factor into the rankings even after you have seven eight games for teams which i don't think is a bad thing i think you know you kind of still are who you are to some degree even if you're not playing that well so the top 10 defenses in the sp plus rankings are wisconsin one georgia two clemson three iowa four san diego state five penn state six texas a&m seven michigan eight cincinnati nine alabama ten that is four Big Ten teams and Cincinnati in the top 10. This also happens sometimes. I think sometimes when you're trying to rank things and in a regional sport where there are characteristics geographically or conference-wise to sort of how teams play, Big Ten defenses are often ranked pretty high in national rankings. But some component of why Big Ten defenses are ranked high is because Big Ten offenses suck. So there is a point that you reach with the Ohio State offense, which is like, well, cool. I care about the ranking of a Big Ten defense when that Big Ten defense is playing a Big Ten offense. The Ohio State offense is not a Big Ten offense. 
The Ohio State offense is a Big 12 SEC offense. It is not filled with Midwest players. Their receivers are, I know Garrett Wilson has Ohio roots, but are from no, San yeah. Di- Texas from raised him as a San football Diego, player. <laughs> Texas, Texas, Virginia, LA, right? I mean, like this is, it's not. And so, but and so they're unlike a lot of the other, there's just no point in comparing the Ohio state offense to the Michigan or Penn state or Michigan state or Iowa or Wisconsin offenses. So if there's no point, to comparing the Ohio state offenses to those offenses, there's not that much point in taking where big 10 defenses are ranked into account because awesome. You stopped Graham Mertz. Great. You made it tough for Spencer Petrus. That is no bearing on this. So, and, and this is one of those things again. And, and I do think sometimes big 10 people get tired of the sec stuff, but sometimes you just have to like acknowledge it. Right. I mean, I don't think there are people saying, Oh, 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 Doug, how dare you? Wisconsin has the number one ranked defense. I do think they're better than Georgia. It's like, okay, like you, we all know it, right. You've got to know when stats and and stuff like this matters and when it doesn't. Yes. The the non big 10, non, non Cincinnati, non San Diego state, no offense to San Diego state, Georgia's two Clemson's three Clemson's overall team stinks. Texas A&M is seven. They have two losses. Bam is 10. So, Stephen, like, there's a part of me that's like, tell me when they play Bama or Georgia, and I'll be ready to talk about slowing down this Ohio State offense. Until then, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you can't go through the season like that. We got two and a half months here. You can't spend every single week going, wait till they play Georgia because that's literally the last game of the season. You got to take it for what it is. I do think you can think about Big Ten defenses when you're talking about stopping the run, right? Because that's what most Big Ten teams do. It's up here. It's cold. You can't throw it. So you're going to run it time and time again. So if you can slow down a team who you know is going to run the ball north of 40 times per game, that's pretty impressive to me. But anything other than that, you just take it with a grain of salt. But what's the other reason why every year Michigan State and et cetera, it's or Wisconsin, I guess, is who I'm actually thinking of, are ranked at the top of the country in rushing yards allowed because you can sell out to stop the run because right. no team you play has a quarterback except for yeah. Ohio State. Right. OK, so this again, this is now becoming a habit. I did this on the last podcast, too. It's like let's start the podcast by undercutting the entire premise of the podcast. Get ready for our cogent analysis of Ohio State, Penn State, which possibly doesn't matter. Sounds like an award. That sounds like an award-winning Buckeye Talk podcast to me. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm excited. We did. We put in our thing for the award thing from yeah. the, po- the podcast awards. I'm waiting. I'm, we're waiting to hear back. Ooh. I mean, for real, it's not going to be like if we win a podcast award. It's not like it's going to slip past us. It's not going to be like, oh, hey, I just noticed that four months ago we won a podcast award. It's all we're going to talk about for a week. It's like, oh, great. Yes, Michigan State, Ohio State is a top five matchup. Let's talk about our 16th place finish in the podcast awards. So, yeah, we can save this one for next year when we submit. Don't listen to anything we say. Get ready for another hour of this next on Buckeye Talk. All right, so we are going to attempt cogent football analysis. I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid. It's like I wanted to give that possibly realistic view of things off the top, but within the framework of it might not matter. Penn State is defensively, and we'll spend a lot of time on this. I do want to talk about Sean Clifford, some Penn State quarterback. 
Well, spent, you know, Penn State is better. It's it's not like we can't, we're not just going to lump everybody together and be like, oh, all the defenses stink. Because Penn State's defense doesn't stink. And I do think, Nathan, whatever happened last week against Illinois, it just is like, it's it doesn't carry over, right? I mean, literally, Illinois was playing eight or nine offensive linemen, and Penn State did like a terrible job adjusting to that like horrible i thought the, i thought the coaching was horrible and part of the reason is that their back seven so good i think they were reluctant to take some of those guys off the field because those are their best players and it's like well, we'll put in more linemen but we're we actually have some trouble at defensive tackle we don't want to have to put extra guys in we're not sure we can find two and it's like you should have played a goal line defense at some point when they were absolutely running you over. But right now, Nathan, I think a lot of the reason that people are down on this game is because of what Illinois did to Penn State. With Now, again, part of it, a lot of it also is Penn State's offense because they couldn't score yeah. any points. But, yeah. the, but also, Illinois like controlled the ball, gave them a chance. They didn't score a ton of points, but they sort of did move the ball. We will get to the Penn State offense, but I, I want to start with the Penn State defense because that's their best side of the ball. Last week didn't matter, right? We just throw that out when we're trying to analyze what it means for Ohio State. Well, yeah, I mean, they, Penn State only allowed 10 points. It's not the reason they lost to Illinois. There's a, a billion offensive reasons why they lost to Illinois. I understand the point you're trying to make. There are two points that should be made there, though, which is, number one, Illinois did come out in a very, I don't know if you'd say gimmicky, but like a very unique approach to how they were going to do that because you're dealing with a guy in Brett Bielema who I think looks at this situation and says – I'm going to manipulate this in the only possible way that would lead to success. You know what I mean? I think he's just a very old school savvy coach in that way. And I think that there's other coaches if you gave him that same talent would not have used it in that way and not had that kind of success with it. But B, it was also Penn State's first game without PJ Mustafer, their you know important uh, nose guard up front who got injured in the mm-hmm. Iowa game is out for the season. I think that was a little bit of a factor too. Also when Illinois caught them at the right time, potentially um, now that situation, you're a week farther into that, you know, your personnel may be a little bit better if you're Penn state and it can maybe make some better adjustments. So, I, the, it, but it is, it it's, it's almost the other reason is because Illinois is a very one dimensional team at this stage, maybe at any stage, they're lucky they even have one dimension. Actually many weeks, there is zero dimensional <laughs> offense and, uh, uh, Ohio State is a multi it's beyond two dimensions really at this point so it, it's hard to draw parallels in how Penn State might have to try to defend because completely different animal so I do imagine a world where I thought the coaching for Penn State last week was terrible on both sides of the ball there were times when guys had a chance to make some plays and they didn't dropped an interception overthrew a touchdown pass in the end zone that kind of stuff I thought the coaching was awful and there was a lot of negative reaction on the Penn State in among Penn State coverage, like sort of to that. That, but I also think it's possible that it, we, it reached the point of overreaction because it felt like, well, they know their team better. It did feel like there was some fundamental, like this is what's the problem. This has been the problem, right? That this showcased the problem, and it was sort of like, listen, man, you. It, well, I, I don't think we. It was a gimmick. It was a gimmick. Have you ever seen a team play like that before? I've never seen a team play like that that right. wasn't a service academy with literally nine guys on the line, a quarterback, and one running back behind. Like that's they did that like 25% of the time. I've yeah. never seen that. So like credit to Brett Bielema coached their pants off, but they <laughs> yeah. so it was, but it was they reacted poorly to a gimmick. I've seen games. 
I mean, it really was like a service academy, except you didn't know it was going to be a service academy. At least when you play a service academy, you know it's a service academy. Cincinnati did not only beat a service academy by seven last week. We've seen, I mean, last time Ohio State played Navy or that time, was it 20, whatever it was, where they had to like return the two-point conversion, like to win. Teams have trouble with service academies a decent amount of the time, really good teams. So if you treat it as a service academy game, where it was a gimmick that they did not handle. And if you treat Iowa as they were going to roll Iowa and then their starting quarterback got hurt and they absolutely did not have a competent backup quarterback. Those are the last two games. Those there's two losses. If Clifford, I want to keep it on the defense. If Clifford's healthy, like I'm not sure either of the two games really applies to what's going to happen on Saturday, honestly, but you could be like, Oh, they lost two in a row. They stink. It's like, well, but I'm not sure the reasons they lost. I'm not sure apply. And let's say this backup quarterback had been 20% more competent. And let's say that they pull out the game in the seventh overtime instead of losing in nine and Penn state was still undefeated yet. They would have been gimmicked to death, but they managed to survive yet. It would have been clear their backup quarterbacks are terrible, but they managed to survive and Penn State was undefeated, nothing about this game would be different. Their record would be different, but they're the same team. And then I think people would be saying, uh-oh, here comes undefeated Penn State. So I don't want everyone to completely lose the uh-oh, here comes undefeated Penn State thing. Because yes, it's an excuse and you've got to be better coaches and you've got to find ways to win. Both those losses are on coaching. To have a backup quarterback that unprepared, that's on coaching. To have a defense that, uh, you know, that can't figure out a way to handle that running game thing. And you, offensively, you can't score more than 10, even though your quarterback's hurt. That's on coaching. But say they just survived. Then I think, Stephen, we would be talking about this Penn State defense a lot more. And I do think they have a back seven that runs to the ball. Ellis Brooks, Brandon Short, Curtis Jacobs, legit dudes. I think it's three run to the ball, make plays, aggressive, smart linebackers. Jaquan Brisker will come up from safety and they can play in the run game. He can cover. He'll break on the ball in the pass game. The corners are good. We already let off with the, it doesn't matter part. So we acknowledge that. I, I really do like the back seven though, Steven. And it's just, I, I like the, what the back seven of this defense is has nothing really to do with why they lost their last two games. So I think maintain the respect for the back seven of the Penn State defense. I 100% agree with you had they not lost last week because the Iowa loss is so forgivable. It's just so forgivable. The Illinois one is not. But I do think. But why does that affect? How does that how we view the defense? As Nathan said, they gave up 10 points against yeah. a style of offense that has nothing to do with how, how Ohio State is going to play. Less and more, less view, when I say view, less about the talent that the defense has and more just how it got deployed. I guess it's, I guess where I don't forgive it, obviously. So that's on coaching, but I'll say this. I, part of me wants CJ to get picked off on Saturday because this is a pretty good secondary. And I want to see how he responds to that. If, and I don't mean a Tulsa pick where, no, I don't mean like the first Minnesota or Oregon picks where it's because he threw the ball too high or it was, it was on him. I mean, like he got fooled on a look and uh, Brisker or Castro Fields or Joy Porter make a play on the ball that, that's just a really good play. You got to give it up to the Penn State's defensive for being, being able to do that. How does CJ respond to that? Because 
But that's like the last thing we haven't seen. And it's because he's just been really accurate and his receivers are always open. So that's what I want to see. I want somebody to pick him off on Saturday so we can see what happens. I do think I'm also very curious, Nathan, just about generally what if the receivers are two yards open instead of eight yards open, which is I'm kind of expecting. Again, I don't think Penn State can cover the Ohio State receivers. Like I, they're not going to shut them down, but I think they will be closer to them than we typically see. Right. I also do think I was just watching a little bit of the Penn State Auburn game again uh, on Thursday morning before we recorded this. I just, I just, Joey Porter is long and lanky. He like, he's like Richard Sherman. Like he's just a, a, like a long physical smart corner. And when you see a guy like that, it just stands out. He gets, he does get a little grabby sometimes. Sometimes he's gotten a couple pass interference penalties in games that I've watched where he's sort of, it's like, you can cover this guy. Don't grab his shoulder pad. Like you don't have to, it's okay. Like you're, you're an excellent player. Don't get grabby. Kind of like how Damon Arnett got grabby. Sometimes I just, it confuses me mm-hmm. sometimes when really talented corners sort of grab when I feel like they don't need to grab, but you know, you're watching Auburn and listen, Auburn has a little something, right? Tank Bigsby is a good running back. Bo Nix is a little bit of a crazy quarterback, but he's, he's at least can make some plays and you do just watch parts of that game. And it's like, well, that guy wasn't open. Well, that, that the cornerback was like literally running step for step with him. It's hard to run step for step with uh, talented Ohio state receivers who are so precise in their routes. The precision of the Ohio state route running, I think is not that it's undercovered. I think the precision of the Ohio state route running is maybe like, they're better than what you should be as a college football right receiver. I, I'm not so sure they wouldn't be one of the five best NFL teams in terms of precision of route. Yeah. You see, I don't want to say you see a lot of imprecise routes where guys just are not cutting stuff off, where guys sort of go out and float. They don't float. They don't round stuff off. They hit, they go like you never, they finish stuff well, off. So they make routes look the same on plays. Like when they're not getting thrown to the precision of the route running, I'm not so sure it might not be the number one thing about this team in the last three years. So they're always going to be at least kind of open. But my point, Nathan, is I don't expect them to be eight yards open every play. No, but I think that good defensive backs can affect how well you round your routes or can try to knock you off that once in a while. You know what I mean? Like they can be physical with you at the release and the line of scrimmage and, and make you have to adjust. And, and uh, the teams they've been playing the last few weeks just can't do that. So I'm, I'm with you. And I think that it's just going to be a game where Ohio state's going to have to work for it more than they usually do to kind of the Stevens point. Like you, when you make that throw into triple coverage, if you're CJ Stroud in a game like this, it has less of a chance of success than it does against Indiana. When you are making some of the other throws that he makes that are fine throws, the chances of success are lower than they are against Maryland. Um, they're going to have probably some, you know, the more third and long situations they have to convert. But at the end of the day, you know, it's a game where like, do you still score 40 points? Yes, but you probably have to score the 40th point in the fourth quarter with your starters, as opposed to in the second quarter. Doug, to your point with the route running, I mean, I, pretty much asked every defensive back we talked to at Big Ten Media Days about how you slow that down. This is what Brandon Joseph said. You want to disrupt the route. You want to get hands on early so he doesn't get a free release and he starts playing with you. Be physical with receivers. Being physical with receivers is a big thing that throws off timing and throws off routes with the quarterbacks. I don't know if anybody's done that. Yep. And when at the I line of scrimmage. 
Yep. And I asked Jackson Smith, Smith and Jigba on Wednesday night what jumps out at him most about this Penn State secondary. First thing he said was they're physical and mm-hmm. they're going to have to play physical back with them. But again, I think that, you know, that that's where it equates. It's like for a lot of teams that aren't going to have receivers like Ohio State's that maybe are prepared for that and are coached that way and, and know that going into the matchup. And listen, it's just play- making go ahead. Go ahead, Doug. Uh, no, it's just making them be athletes because to the they're really good route runners, and it kind of makes up for the fact that they're those three are not elite superior athletes when you're talking about the other wide receivers around the country. Chris is small and slender. Garrett's kind of small. He just plays like he's six three. And Jackson Smith the Jigba isn't crazy fast. He's thick and he's big. So it's not like we're dealing with three elite level wide receivers from natural gift situations. They're just really sound in their technique. And so if you make those guys be athletes, what happens? And that's asking a lot, but we'll see. Listen, Penn State, they'll play, they play off coverage too, but I do think you have to believe in yourself and the ability to play man-to-man with a guy down the field in order to come up and be willing to be on top of them at the line of scrimmage, which gives you a chance to not give them a free release and get physical. But if you think like, well, I'm going to try, try not to let them have a free release, but, man, if they get it, I'm toast. I, I think that's what a lot of people think. It's like, well, even Tom Allen was saying last week, it's like, the, the, the like, let's keep them in front of us kind of thing, right? We'll keep our safeties deep, kind of play some bail coverage, try to keep guys in front of us. If we give up the short stuff, at least we're not getting beat over the top. And then they just move down the field. And it's, they don't even move down the field like in five-yard chunks. They move down the field like in 12-yard chunks. And it's like, yeah. all right, well, that was an eight-play drive, but it still felt mm-hmm. it took a minute and a half. So – you have to believe in yourself and enough to give yourself the chance to be physical. And I do think Penn state has that Joey Porter jr. And Tariq Castro fields. And then Brisker, those safeties from what I can tell, I think, I don't know. I do think that a safety, one of the safeties, Jair Brown and Jaquan Brisker, it feels like, listen, I haven't watched every Penn state game, but I think just like they sort of, they alternate. They basically play the same way. And the safety that's maybe on the side of the field where Jackson Smith and Jigba lines up will be the guy that covers him on that route, right? That it won't be that Brisker's always deep or that Jair Brown's always deep. So it will be a safety on him, but Brisker can cover, right? I mean, Brisker really is a complete safety. Um, I was ta- We were talking to Anthony Poindexter, the um, safeties coach and co-DC for Penn State today, and he was talking about Brisker basically saying that if, if they wanted him to, he could play corner. He's got corner coverage skills, but with a safety body and kind of a safety mindset. Yeah, really good. And so there'll be times when he's up on Jackson Smith and Jigba, and maybe there are routes that usually Jackson wins immediately that he won't win right away, and that gives Brisker a chance to make a play. And then there'll be times when he's back and he's deciding where to help, and he, he's going to be trying to make plays on the ball. Let's dig a little more into that, Nathan. I know you're, you've been reporting on this Penn State secondary. What did you get from that Penn State DB's coach that would help this conversation? Well, I mean, he wasn't getting into specifics, obviously, with us as far as, you know, what they're going to do schematically or what they need to do schematically as, as far as matching up with them. Um, I think they're pretty confident in their personnel. They feel like all those guys just have natural skills to they, – they've been able to cover people that other people can't is kind of how he looks at it, that they, they've done well recruiting and developing guys, just this, the talent at the back end. And we've talked about that before, that this is just one of those teams that really can talent equate. You know, the past couple of weeks, they've played against secondaries with guy full of guys who 
would not play at Ohio State. So that changes this week. Um, I, I think that also, though, there's a, there's a respect that he has for C.J. Stroud and what he's been seeing from him and knows that they're playing a guy that even though he's a redshirt freshman starting for the first time, that a, a very poised guy, somebody who is um, taking what defenses give him to some extent. He's not trying to do too much. One of the things that has really kind of bounced around in my head is the way Ryan Day has been talking about Penn State's secondary this week, which is you, we, we, we always parse what these guys say and what they're trying to get at. And he's made a point of talking about how all of these guys know are, are they're very much like system defensive backs for Penn State. Like they know the system. This is the kind of guys that they get to in their secondary. And these guys have been doing it for a while and they know it well. And there's part of me that wonders if they're, if he's telegraphing something there about this is something that can be exploited for them. Because one of the things also that Poindexter said was, you know, you know, these guys have faced these guys before, and that's a good thing, which is true of Olave and Wilson. They matched up against those guys last year, but they have not seen Jackson Smith and Jigba. And that seems like just such a crucial third element to throw at a defense right now and add another like lever of pressure that you get to pull on any given play, another pressure point that you get to push um, as defenses try to find a way to, to match up schematically and personnel wise. On the defensive line, Arnold Abikidi, who is a transfer from Temple, is second in the Big Ten in tackles for loss with 11. Only ahead of him is Micah McFadden, the guy that we talked about a lot last week for Indiana. I think Jesse Lucetta is a pretty good player. He's usually on the opposite edge for them. Sometimes he's a DN, sometimes he's a linebacker. But, Stephen, it's hard. Again, it's it's just I, the way Dewan Jones and Nicholas Petitfer and that whole offensive line have played – we're gonna, we've talked about it already. We're going to see it more. Michigan State, Michigan, Purdue, they all have guys who can get after the passer. If we get to the Georgia game, Georgia has guys who can get after the passer. Penn State has a couple, but I'm not predicting a world where C.J. Stroud's under constant pressure because this offensive line's playing so well. Yeah, I don't think the pressure can come from the edge against this team. And I'm saying that knowing Thayer, Mumford, and Paris Johnson are your guards. But I just think that's where you're going to have to get – you're going to have to blow up the pocket in, from the interior and make CJ get out of there when the play isn't necessarily designed for him to get out of there. So can Kaziah Izzard and Derek Tangelo you know, make Paris Johnson and Thayer Mumford work? Or more importantly, if Ohio State is still rotating their interior offensive line and when Matthew Jones comes into the game, can they exploit that a little bit and, and maybe go at him a little bit? So that's I think that's where we're at now. The pressure is going to have to come from the interior and make C.J. Stroud use his legs when he doesn't want to use his legs. And the best way to get pressure against this offensive line is to come in unblocked because you blitzed or you did a, something yeah. on the defensive line that they didn't they didn't cover the right way. We, we thought that. Indiana would blitz a lot. Indiana didn't blitz a lot. Tom Allen, after the fact, sort of regretted the fact that they didn't blitz more. They didn't believe in their coverage, which prevented them from blitzing more. Penn State does believe in its coverage, so I think maybe Penn State will try to blitz. We did see, Nathan, it was like, when I was going through the, again, the Micah McFadden story I keep talking about, there were times, like, McFadden's a good blitzer. He led the Big Ten in sacks last year. You know, there's a time he blitzed, and, like, Luke Whipler got him caught him in the middle, blocked him, C.J. Stroud threw touchdown pass. Like, that's that doesn't always happen. He blitzed. Dewan Jones was ready. They handed guys off. No problem. The first play of the third quarter, 
Micah McFadden blitz. They didn't pick it up and he got a sack on CJ Stroud and that led to a three and out. So that was like an example of like, Hey, like this is what this guy does. He's good at this, but it felt like it didn't happen at all in the first half. But the reason it felt that way is because a, they were a little scared to do it. And when they did it, the Ohio state offensive line was completely prepared for it and handled it. If you, going forward now, and I don't even know if Penn state blitzes a lot or not normally, should you just try it? Should you try again? We thought the way they were rolling CJ Stroud out of the pocket last week, trying to move things. It felt like Ohio state was preemptively ready for pressure. Let's get CJ outside. And then it turned out that they didn't really have to do that. Do you think Penn state might try to come after him? Not because it's what they do best, but it's because the only it's the only way you have a chance to really rattle CJ Stroud. Yeah. And on the one that he did get sacked on, he pointed out that the blitz was coming mm-hmm. and then still nobody picked it up. So it's just even, <laughs> And that was kind of an anomaly. I think you absolutely have to come after him. I mean, it, he's still a redshirt freshman playing his seventh game in college football or whatever, um, or at least as a starter, you know what I mean? Actually throwing passes and trying to read defenses. Um, he's still pretty early on in his career with that. And I think he's grown more comfortable in making decisions on the run, on the move, whether that's the health of the shoulder, whether that's just seeing more reps and getting more comfortable. I don't know. I think both are probably a little bit of a factor, but I think you've got to make him do that on your terms. It can't be what you're talking about, you know, preemptively rolling out something he's already repped in practice 50 times or whatever, and multiple times that week, something he's completely comfortable with. You've got to make him do it on your, on your terms. I, I just, I can't imagine any team that Ohio state plays thinking it's just going to sit back in coverage and beat these receivers. It's not going to happen. And when you do that, Trevin Henderson is going to murder you or Jeremy Ruckert's going to kill you underneath with all the catches he made last week. Like it's, you, you have to, you can't just pick that poison to go back to something we talked about a couple weeks ago. Cause either way you're drinking poison. You have to, you have to try to come up with an antidote. You have to try to summon something that rattles CJ Stroud, that makes him make a decision that he, that isn't just the, the normal read that he made in practice all week when they rep that play, you've got to take him out of his comfort zone. I think you got to get there. Brandon Smith and Ellis Brooks are pretty quality linebackers for them. If they blitz, those two have to get there. They have to hit CJ Stroud time and time again and make him feel them. Because if you're not, and I, when I say get there, that I mean sacks, that means QB hits, QB hurries. Because if you don't get there and it's a zone blitz, Jackson Smith, the jig was getting the ball over the middle. If you don't get there and it's a man blitz, Chris Olave scoring a 40 yard touchdown or Garrett Wilson's catching the ball, breaking off of the first guy, and then scoring a 40-yard touchdown. So that's the key there is it's not just sending a blitz so CJ has to think about it. He has to genuinely have to be thinking about it because, oh, last time they sent a blitz, I got hit. Last time they sent a blitz, I got sacked. But I actually think with a secondary this good, that might not be as important. I think if you're just making him uncomfortable and making him have to maybe hurry some throws or or make tougher reads, that that might be enough to have some level of success. It's just that I just don't have any confidence that they're going to pair it with an offense that makes a difference at the end of this game. I also do think this might be a game where we see Chris Olave hit a couple over the top that we haven't seen mm-hmm. as much the last couple of weeks, because if Penn state's going to believe in their guys, they're going to try to make some plays that sets you up for double moves that sets you up for play action. And we've seen what Ryan day and, and these receivers and CJ Stroud can do in situations like that. I think we haven't seen that as much because teams are doing what Tom Allen said. It's like, well, they're so afraid of that. They're giving up all the, the stuff in the middle that CJ is now taking and the stuff underneath. And if Penn state's going to be more aggressive, um, I think that opens that up as well. 
Chris Olave right. had one of the most beautiful catches of his career last year. That like fingertips basket catch on the run down the sideline at yeah. Penn State. Yeah, I think I think I would look for I would look for a couple of those. All right, let's talk about the Penn State offense before we get to our picks. Nathan, how much do we believe like the Sean Clifford is going to be a hundred percent thing? It's interesting. The Sean Clifford path is kind of similar to what the Browns are dealing with with Baker Mayfield right now. That it's like, hey, your quarterback's injured. His injury is affecting how he plays, but you're also just trying to see if he can play. And it's like, oh, yeah, he's fine. And it's like, is he? Like, is he? I didn't. Watching that Illinois game last week again, he he took a shot in the Iowa game. He he got hit like on a throw, like in the chest. So like they haven't exactly said what it is, but that was the, his last play of the Iowa game was like taking a shot in the chest. It's not like it, it's not a knee it's not a shoulder or an elbow or an ankle. And then he was wearing like a flak jacket last week. And so it, we don't, they haven't said exactly what it is, but it feels like it's probably like a rib ish sternum ish kind mm-hmm. of thing that probably has to heal on its own and hurts like heck. And it hurts to move and it hurts to throw and it hurts if you try to run and get hit. But he said he's going to play, but then, like, what does that mean? What do you think of how we should anticipate Sean Clifford in this game, Nathan? I mean, it's sort of maybe like what Justin Fields was dealing with from midway through the Clemson game on in, in the postseason last year. You know, I'm skeptical about the 100% thing just because I watched that game, too, and he looked far from 100%. He did finish that game. He played that game out. But then to say by, like, Tuesday afternoon that you expect him to be 100%, does that also mean that he's having to do a lot of is he is he resting this week? Is he getting to practice in full this week? Like I don't know. There's there's a lot out there that just because he might get back to 100% health, did it come at the expense of getting 100% reps this week? And because of his health, don't you have to rep your backup quarterbacks more because his health is so unpredictable right now? It's just it's not an enviable quarterback situation for Penn State at the moment. Yeah, James Franklin definitely should have just said he's good enough to play. He messed up by throwing on the out that percentage. Well, but I don't, the thing that I'm just curious about is why they didn't just sit him last week against a, an Illinois team where Penn state clearly has more talent and then just make some kind of wildcat game plan. I don't know. Run the option. Do what Illinois did. Do, do exactly. I mean, I honestly think like Brett Bielema would not have played Sean Clifford and it would have been like, we're throwing out our offensive playbook. We're going to run these 10 plays. We're going to lean on our defense. We're going to target Jahan Dotson 20 times, and we're going to try to win this game. 17 to 10 and like they they didn't do that and and it just felt like an opportunity that Clifford clearly wasn't himself last week and if you had given your backup quarterbacks the the 15 plays that they're best at and then told Jaquan Brisker and Brandon Short and Tariq Craftsworth feels like you've got to win this game for us I think they I think they would have given themselves a better chance to win the game because they, they just weren't ready to do it with the Clifford they put out there. And it would have given Clifford all that much more rest. You know, last last week, all the Penn State writers, they get to go see like 20 minutes of practice on Wednesdays. They were all taking pictures. Here's Sean Clifford. He's at practice. And it's like, man, just give that guy like 10 days of bed rest and then get him back on the field Tuesday of Ohio State week and let's see what we can do. I'm just surprised they didn't do that. There, it, It's not a conversation worth having of like, well, what if Sean Clifford gets hurt? If Sean Clifford can't play, Penn State's going to lose by 80. So the question is, okay, let's assume he's going to play. How close is he to what he is? If he can be anything close to what he was at the beginning of this year, I think he was like a 
quarterback you can win games with. He makes, he escapes stuff. He does escape some stuff. He's a little bit of like a herky-jerky all over the place kind of runner. He doesn't look smooth when he gets out there. But he can make some throws on the run. Sometimes that's the best way to make some big plays. Stuff breaks down. You do stuff. He will, at times, I think, on third and eight, if you get good pressure, he'll take off and try to run for the first down. I think that's in there if he's physically capable of doing it, Stephen. But the other thing is, I mean, the, the Jahan Dotson conversation. Jahan Dotson this year, starting with the Wisconsin opener, five catches for 102, five for 65, 10 for 78 against Auburn. Seven for 117 against Villanova, eight for 84 against Indiana, eight for 48 against Iowa, six for 69 against Illinois. 49 catches, 563 yards, 80.4 yards per game. That's third in the Big Ten behind David Bell and Garrett Wilson. He is really good. I would legitimately try to target him 17 times in this game. How much we saw it last last year with what he did in this game. How much of a worry is he for the Ohio State defense? I mean, if the Penn State does what I think they should do and what you just said they should do, he's it's interesting, at least, if they try. Because they didn't really target him a lot last year. He just had three really loud catches out of nowhere, at, you know, and they already kind of already decided a game that kind of put him over the top there. I, I think he should average – Three, three or four catches a quarter, quite frankly. And they should be trying to be as creative as Mike Garrison should be trying to be as creative as possible and getting that guy the ball and making Denzel Burke and Cam Brown and Seven Banks work. Make them work as much as possible. Because uh, once again, we think things in that secondary are pretty solid with those three guys and rotating through two spots. We're not 100% sure of that yet. And this is a game where that can be tested. So I'm getting that guy the ball as much as possible. First, second, third down, it doesn't matter. Let, let me ask that, that Nathan, how far are you in your conviction and belief in this Ohio state secondary right now, which seems to have settled into Denzel Burke, Cam Brown and seven banks, maybe in some kind of three man rotation for the two outside corner spots, Marcus Williamson and Lathan ransom with a little bit of Cam Martinez mixed in at cover safety. And then Ronnie Hickman and Bryson Shaw more often than not back deep. What's your level of faith in that group? You know, it's it's growing. It's still one that I have certain concerns about. I want to see what happens when a team whose running game Ohio State has to respect can throw like play action and some things like that at this secondary and make them have to make that kind of read. I don't think that's this week. Penn State's running game is pretty miserable. I want to see what happens when a team has like multiple good receivers that Ohio State has to match up against. That may not happen until the Michigan State game. It's it's just I, I I'm not that concerned about what what Dotson could do to Ohio State. I don't think you can target him as much as you want. But right now, again, if you're not producing anything on the ground and if you have not if you don't have somebody else, you know, think of, you know, go back to last year when when Penn State had Pat Fryermuth. They had some other weapons, I think, even in the passing game that Ohio State had to respect a little bit more. I don't necessarily see that right now. It just seems very one-dimensional within the one dimension that it has. I mean, they, they tried to run Clifford a lot last year, too, and that was a disaster. Um, different front seven now for Ohio State, I understand, but but one that I don't think would have problems containing a, a compromised quarterback like Clifford. So, 
but to get back to, I guess, to your greater point about the secondary, I just, this doesn't seem like the test still that would necessarily tell me a lot about the secondary. I do think it's interesting that, that Denzel Burke, um, you know, this is a bit of a test for him. He's already kind of running his mouth about, um, you know, he, you know, he's a pretty good receiver, but nothing I can't handle. Um, after he watched what, what happened to Sean Wade last year, uh, that could be an eye opener for him, but it could also be an eye opener for everybody else. If he follows through. Yeah. Don't love that. Don't love it. Oh, and- no. Okay. Uh, hold on. I, yeah. He said that, but it wasn't, his tone was not with, it was not cocky at all. It was more just him saying, I think I'll be able to handle myself. Nothing about it screamed to me. Oh, I'm going to lock this guy up and Jahan Dawson is just going to be a non-factor on Saturday. I think that's getting we, because of the reputation he's already built for himself. That's getting blown out of proportion from what his tone actually was when he said it. Tone matters. Tone matters. That's my whole thing with all this kind of stuff. Tone. Matters. Yeah, that's a good. It was, that's a good point to make. It was more confidence than cocky. It's still a little bit brash, but I think there, there may also be something to be said for the the confidence or cockiness or brashness that a defensive back is playing with because of the way that the play on the field is gone. I think that uh, he is playing with a confidence that Ohio State's defensive backs did not play with last year for good reason. Yeah, I agree with that. And every week, the challenge gets a little harder. Ty Freifogel, Jahan Dotson is clearly better than Ty Freifogel. David Bell is clearly going to be better than what Jahan Dotson is. And then nobody on Michigan State's roster is better than David Bell, but it's multiple guys. And so it just it's another step every single week. So it's gradual. And it's like, all right, you passed that test. Now it's time to pass this test. Now it's time to pass that test. Yeah, no, all the receivers he's played so far have sucked. Right? I mean, what, who, who's yes. the best receiver that he's faced so far? That Ohio State's faced. Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave on Tuesday. So, I mean, like the jump from <laughs> and the jump from Ty Freifogel and a fourth string quarterback to even like a partially injured Sean Clifford and Jahan Dotson is quite yep. a jump. Yep. Last week, Penn State ran 64 offensive plays, which is remarkable because um, last week, or no, they ran 63 offensive plays. Illinois ran 88. <laughs> That's a big difference. They did target, they targeted Jahan Dotson on 14 times in 63 plays. That's 22% of their plays. They were trying to throw the ball to Jahan Dotson. He, but he only had six catches. So that was like a, a lot kind of went wrong. Sean Clifford wasn't himself. They were even trying some short stuff that like didn't work. So he had six catches for 58 last week. They tried. That was double the amount of targets that anybody else on Penn State's roster had. So I would do that again, plus some. There are moments, again, I just watched the Auburn game. They had a they had a little script early against Auburn where they were in 12, two tight ends on the field, and they hit one tight end on one play, and they came back on the next play and split the other 10 tight end out wide and got a little rub route, and like I think hit him for a touchdown. And so there's not Pat Fryermuth, but I do think they'll try to work the tight ends a little bit. And so it's one of those, again, I do think the back end of the Ohio State defense has come a long way, has come a long way. But Akron, Rutgers, Maryland without Dante Demas, Indiana, like this is this is a new deal. I do think potentially the most important guy in this game is Mike Yersich, former Ohio State quarterbacks coach, former Ohio State offensive coordinator for the first year of the Ryan Day era, who then left to go be the play caller at Texas. Then that blew up. Now he's at Penn State. They, 
we're not going to, we're going to keep making Joe Moorhead conversation about what the Oregon play caller did in that game, because it was the difference in the game. He, he found something that Ohio state was not doing well and he kept going to it and kept working and Ohio state couldn't adjust. And he took advantage of things. So Mike Yurcich needs to call a great game. And, but the Ohio state defense is much improved from, from what they were. They can't run it. They don't have, they don't have any dangerous mm-hmm. running backs. Their offensive line, I think, is fine, but they don't get like a push. They're, I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball. They haven't all year. That's sort of abandoned. So Clifford's their biggest run threat, and then can they throw it to Dotson 18 times and hope he catches 13 of them and has an impact? I, I, I think it's possible. That's a, you know, but they, they do have an exceptional dude. He's an exceptional dude, and but it's sort of a little bit, Nathan, like with the Micah McFadden thing last week. Indiana's defense had one exceptional dude. It was like, oh, let's stop that guy. Penn State's offense has one exceptional dude. It's like, oh, cool, let's stop that guy. I think that's possible as well. But as good as he is, like, I don't, he's not, this isn't like Rondo Moore. Like, he's not that kind of player. And he's, you know what I mean? Like, it's not just like one guy who's going to take over a game. I don't think he's not that kind of receiver. I mean, you can just look at the numbers and see that. And so I, I, that's the other thing. Like, I don't know how a team with one receiver who, one player who is dependent on other execution to get him the ball is going to be able to sustain an offense against Ohio State. And also, if they can't run the ball at all, because Noah Kane has just not been getting it done, I mean, this is just going to be another week where we're going to be able to see this defensive line just kind of tee off. But then also, it's more Craig Young, standing rusher slash whatever the heck he is in the game playing spy on Sean Clifford. This is, I think this is, this might be the most snaps he plays all season in a game, just because that's a role that they really need against this type of quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think, I think all those things are true. I think Penn state has some good players. Do they have enough good players? Uh, probably not. So we will get to our picks for this game and a Michigan, Michigan state and Iowa, Wisconsin discussion next on Buckeye talk. Doug, Nathan, Steven back. We'd love to have you as a tech subscriber. We have some tech subscriber answers here that we'll get to as we run through our picks here in a moment. But we all, I, I do, it's a, it's a really interesting weekend for the Big Ten. And this is a really fun, important game. It's not the most interesting game, but it's the most interesting game for us. So time to make our picks here for the Buckeyes and the Nittany Lions. Nathan Baird, we'll start with you. It is an 18 and a half point line. I believe it started at 12 and a half and like jumped up immediately. 18 and a half and 60 for the over-under. What do you got, Nathan? It, just to clarify, I think it was 12 and a half uh, because it was one of the lines that got set earlier, like weeks earlier. Like, like oh, okay. One of the sites, DraftKings, mm-hmm. set it earlier. When it first dropped this week, I think it was more like around 15, but okay. then 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 it steadily increased. And yeah, it's, it's 18 and a half as we record this. I'm taking Ohio State 40 to 13. Um, I, I think they're going to have to work harder to get those 40 points. It's not going to be done at a halftime like it was last week. Uh, but I just don't see Penn State being able to sustain an offense that keeps Ohio State's offense off the field and scores points on its own. It just it it, it, it does not look like where they are right now. The 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 nine overtimes of futility certainly didn't against Illinois of all people certainly didn't inspire much confidence. So I'm just at a stage right now where I need Penn State to prove to me that it's not a mediocre big 10 offense and, and anything short of that right now doesn't challenge Ohio state at all. 
So you've got Ohio State covering the 18 and a half, and you have the under. You have 53 total points. I'm taking the under, yeah, because I just I don't see the points for Penn State, although that's been um, – I've been terrible picking the over-under this year, usually because Ohio State just scores so many points, it doesn't matter. All right, Stephen, what's your pick? 49 to 14, I'm taking Ohio State, and I'm taking the over there. I just uh, – the 14 points is – Penn State's probably going to score a touchdown on its opening possession because that's just what this Ohio State defense does before they adjust. And then they score again at some point, whether it's when the game is still a game or it's not still a game. They just score another touchdown. And then Ohio State's offense at some point, there's going to be a quarter where they have 21 points because that's just how this offense operates. And that's where the bulk of their scoring comes from. And like I said, I don't think there's a team on the rest of this regular season schedule that holds them under 40. So 49 to 14 Ohio State. So that's Ohio State covering and the over. I also am Ohio State covering and the over. I have Ohio State 48, Penn State 24. I'm giving a little more to the Penn State offense, which is I'm not 100% certain about the Ohio State defense at this point. I actually do think healthy Sean Clifford has played pretty well this year. If he's anywhere close to that, I think it's possible we are overestimating the Ohio State corners and underestimating Jahan Dotson. And I think Penn State will get a couple things. I don't think it'll just be, I could see, I could see a drive. I could see a Dotson big play. I could see like another drive where they get, you know, they get a defensive stop and get a shorter field and Clifford runs a couple times and they get a 50 yard touchdown drive so that they aren't completely, completely inept. And I would say this is probably more, maybe like it's like 34, 24 entering the fourth quarter. That's a little bit of a game. And it's this just this offense just wears you down and wears you down. And that CJ plays basically four quarters almost. I had made a prediction of a Julian Fleming touchdown. Maybe that second team offense isn't really getting in there until the last eight minutes of the game, try to get a drive or two. I'll give that last touchdown of the game to get to 48 to Julian Fleming. So I do think the thing with the Ohio State offense, as we said a couple of times now, is if they score 40 in the first half, they'll take their foot off the gas in the second half. If they don't, they'll keep their foot on the gas. And four quarters of this offense, like we don't actually know what that looks like, right? Right? Because this offense, what it is, has only taken place in a blowout world so far. So I do think they will. I think the overs are a pretty good bet because I can imagine Penn State doing enough to keep the Ohio State first team offense on the field which leads to that first team offense putting up points. I got 48, 24, the over and give the point. Those are our picks for the Buckeyes and the Nittany Lions here on Buckeye Talk. Now the best game of the week. I think Michigan State might win. I'm a little surprised that Michigan is favored at Michigan State. Nathan, what is your outsider's view on this game that basically is going to determine who who's going to be able to take that shot at the Buckeyes still with Big Ten championship dreams in their head? I think there's probably some skepticism when you start looking inside the numbers as to who Michigan State has actually done this against. And I know that Michigan hasn't played any kind of a juggernaut schedule by any means. They did have a win at Wisconsin that I think might be better than any of Michigan State's wins. Michigan State just had to really fight to beat an Indiana team that Ohio State obliterated. Um, I, I think that's where, when I look at it, and I, I assume that's what you're seeing from why they're in, what it ends up being kind of that line and maybe why there's some of the um, 
speculation about this game this week just because I think there's still skepticism about how good Michigan State really is. So who do you th- who do you think is going to win, Nathan? I would take Michigan to win. The number keeps getting a little bit bigger, though. It's up to four, I think. I don't know. I think I would stay away from that. Okay. Steven, what do you think of this game? I think Michigan State's going to win, too. They're not an elite passing offense, but there's Ooh. enough there at, that, at all. At all. I don't even know why that conversation ever started in other circles. But they have enough there that they could force Michigan to have to throw it. And Cade McNamara is not it. And I don't know if he's going to just throw J.J. McCarthy out there in, in this type of environment this week. So because of that, I think this is – I am I would stay away from that four line too, but I, I think Michigan State's just going to make Michigan throw it, and that's how they win the game. So I think Michigan State, as it stands now, and I, I might not – I think I might have said on the other podcast, like, oh, maybe Cade McNamara's – or like on the Monday pod, maybe Cade McNamara might be the second-best quarterback in the Big Ten. He's not. I think Michigan State has a better quarterback, a better receiver, and a better running back. Kenneth Walker the third, I think, is better than Blake Corum and Hassan Haskins, although they're a pretty darn good combo. They are, they are a very nice combo. And Kenneth Walker the third's yards per carry, and we talked about this a lot on the playoff show this week, like his last three games in the Big Ten, if you take out a 94-yard touchdown run he had, it's very pedestrian. That he is like mm-hmm. a kind of a workhorse back. He's starting to hit like 25 for 85 kind of range, which is like some people think he's in the Heisman conversation. It's like, okay, let's just pull back on that a little bit. But he's a nice football player. And I think if I had to take, if you're having a draft and say, which take one of these three running backs, Haskins, Quorum, or Walker, I think I take Walker. Jalen Naylor and, and the other Michigan State receivers, because Ronnie Bell got hurt for Michigan, I think Michigan State has better receivers. And they tie their passing game and run game together better than I think Michigan does. Michigan, I don't think they run the ball so much, it doesn't, but it doesn't set up anything, it feels like, in the passing game. And their, their yards per attempt the last couple of weeks are putrid. I think the only way Michigan wins is if, is if Jim Harbaugh goes to J.J. McCarthy, if Michigan State's ahead 13 to three in the middle of the second quarter and Michigan hasn't been able to move the ball, I don't know why you wouldn't go to JJ McCarthy. And I think they've been working him in all year in the anticipation of a moment like this. Like, if you're afraid to put him in on the road at Michigan State, like, I don't, like, what are, what are we doing here? It's a five star quarterback. You got to try it. If it's, if like, I'm not saying first, first try, but if, if Cade McNamara is not getting it done and I'm very skeptical that he will. I think you've got to go to him. So I think this is a lot on Harbaugh to give them a chance. And I do think it's like, well, why have they been doing all this weird J.J. McCarthy stuff all year? Well, because I think they're building up to something. Otherwise, they're just being weird. They're just using their five-star guy who can throw as like a wildcat quarterback for I don't know why. But I think they're trying to get him used to the speed of the game and give him opportunities to feel confident so that it leads to something. And I think it might be leading to this. So if he gets in the game and can do something – then it's on, I think. But not knowing if that'll happen and not knowing if it does happen, how he'll play. I think Michigan State overall is a better team. And I do think we've underestimated them. And I have underestimated them until I started digging in this week. I'll take Michigan State to win this as a four-point underdog at home. Let's do a little bit of what the texters said. The texters picked Michigan. 84% picked Michigan. Straight up. We don't do the points with the uh, the other games for the Texters. So Michigan to win 84%, Michigan State 16. What did the Texters think about the Ohio State game? Ohio State minus 18.5 got 73% of the vote. I'm almost surprised, Nathan, how good this Ohio State offense has been. And with what we started the podcast with, it, it doesn't matter part of it. I'm almost surprised that's not higher. I think that 
for 27% of the people to say they'd take Penn State with the points and an Ohio State text group, I actually think is a decent amount of respect for the Nittany Lions. I think it's there's some historical precedent baked into that, yep. right? That people remember that this is the team that keeps playing. Even if they lose, they seem to play within one, two points. Even last year, I thought that was a game that Ohio State comfortably led throughout, but they didn't like paste them. It was, you know, it was it was a respectable win. So I think that's maybe if I'm an Ohio State fan, I, I could totally see just expecting a respectable win. And that 2019 was one of the best defenses Ohio State's ever had. And they only they still gave up 17 points to Penn State. So the over under of 60, the texters 61 percent take the over 39 percent take the under. That about fits what we did here because Stephen and I took the over and Nathan took the under. This is a question that is not about this week, but is a bigger picture question. Michigan State plays at Ohio State on November 20th. Ohio State plays at Michigan on November 27th, which is a tougher game for the Buckeyes. I will tell you that the Texters said 84% picked the Michigan game as the tougher game, which surprises me a little bit because if there's one thing that has defined the Jim Harbaugh era, it's that they can't beat Ohio State. And we don't know about Mel Tucker. We kind of know to maybe not expect peak Michigan in the Ohio State-Michigan game, although they played a heck of a game in 2016 and almost won. But they've been, the last two times they've played, you thought Michigan was going to be competitive. One time Michigan was favored. They got blown off the field. Now, yes, Michigan's changed all their assistant coaches. They feel like they're connected. There's a lot of stories this week about how they're connecting to the players better. That's a good move. I think in the end, Harbaugh made some very smart moves with his staff this offseason that you have to credit the new hires and you have to credit Jim Harbaugh for doing that or credit the person who made Jim Harbaugh do it. Might have been more manual saying it's either you or your staff. It's like, oh, yeah, I'll fire everybody. Oh, Don, Don. I know we've been friends for a long time, right? So that's what would worry an Ohio State fan about the Michigan game. If Mel Tucker is Mark D'Antonio, the sequel, I would be a little worried about that as an Ohio State fan because we know what Mark D'Antonio did here. Mel Tucker from Cleveland. Mel Tucker, former Ohio State assistant. Mel Tucker has like a ragtag bunch of dudes playing at a higher level than anybody expected. And Ohio State's not afraid to go to the big house. I, I think it's like, hey, here comes Michigan State. Mel Tucker's an Ohio guy. It's his first time in Ohio Stadium as an opponent. And Mel Tucker's going to be like, let's go take it to these guys. I would very much right now vote that the Michigan State game is a, is a bigger possible issue for Ohio State than the Michigan game. Steven, which way would you go? Am I nuts? I'm going to say Michigan State because J.J. McCarthy's not Michigan's starting quarterback yet. And if that happens, that changes my answer. So we had talked about that in the preseason even. Like, will J.J. Yep. McCarthy be the starter by the Ohio State game? If J.J. McCarthy is the starting quarterback for the Ohio State game, you would then pick the Michigan game. Mm-hmm. Okay. Nathan, how about you here? So there are two teams. You were referencing uh, football outsiders numbers earlier. There's two teams nationally who have an offense and a defense efficiency in the top ten. It's Georgia and Alabama. Michigan is fifth in offense, 11th in defense. So again, and that's, those are, those are numbers that are supposed to quantify a little bit your opponent and, and, and not just be the, like the basic numbers. Michigan state is 
uh, 24th in defense and 50th in offense. Like, I just don't believe Michigan State's that great yet. I need to see. Uh, maybe they'll prove me wrong this weekend, but I still need to see Michigan State actually go out and do it against somebody that I have some respect for. So uh, I still think Michigan is probably the answer, although I don't think that either of them, um, again, Michigan just being so one-dimensional offensively, it's just hard to imagine either of them scoring at a level that really gives Ohio State problems. The thing I'll say to that is the the metrics don't have eyeballs. You've got to watch this Michigan passing game. This Michigan passing game has been putrid the last yeah. two weeks. They, they averaged like six yards per attempt the last two weeks. I think it's a real problem. I think it's the numbers problem. don't at all match what you watch because they're third in the Big Ten in a yards per completion. It's like eight yards per completion, but but it's that's all not... built. Up, but I, I did a stat on the playoff show this week. Their yards mm-hmm. per attempt against their two MAC opponents is like thirteen point two, and their that's yards per attempt off. against everybody that's not a MAC opponent is like six point seven. Mm-hmm. And in the last two games, it's five something. So their their passing game is falling off a cliff because they're not playing Northern Illinois anymore. Mm-hmm. So I have very I have great. But again, I get it. It's so bad. I think it might force a change, which is the thing that might give them the best chance in this game and on November 27th. Okay, I want to talk about the uniforms first, and then we'll end with Iowa, Wisconsin, because we know everybody's waiting for Iowa, Wisconsin stuff. I asked about the Scarlet out. Ohio State wearing Scarlet unis for this one. Scarlet from head to toe. What do you think? What do you think? I asked the Texas about the Scarlet uniforms. These were the choices. I don't like it. I don't care about uniform choices for a game either way. I like all white or all gray or all black, but I'm not sure about all scarlet. Or I love it. So that was kind of from the worst to the best. Nathan, what do you think won the texture vote? I mean, I guess maybe like the middle one. As usual, you didn't listen. There's four of them. Oh, I'm sorry. You, you were not that interested them. in uniform there, talk. You, you don't I'm even never know interested what the uniform talk. There is no middle one. Choices were. You don't even There's know what no, I said. There literally is no middle one. I thought I only heard three. Sorry. The the all right. So Nathan's answer is I don't care about uniform choices <laughs> for a game either way. So we know that's how Nathan would vote. I will yes. say. It is one of those things. We as individual people may not care about uniforms. People care about uniforms. Like we cannot be dismissive of uniforms. Fans are into it. Recruits are into it. Players are into it. Like how you look matters, whether we like it or not. So we're allowed to have our opinion, but we can't act like people don't care. I mean, I think the answer that, I mean, an answer I would have put on here is like, it's, it's fine for this game, but I prefer. Well, we're talking about traditional uniforms all the time. But that's not I the love question it. we're talking about for this game. Do you like the Scarlet out? I also prefer traditional uniforms. I, I prefer traditional uniforms in the biggest games because I want you to look how, like how you look when we reflect on the biggest games in history. I would do the alternate uniforms against the crap opponents. It's like, hey, we're playing Akron, but we're wearing gray and scarlet polka dots. That's when I would do it. That's never when they do it because the uniform companies don't want the Akron game. Nike wants you to do it in the games that matter. Steven, you love it. I love it. Honestly, I partially agree with your statement. I think rivalry games stick to your basics because that matters a little bit more. These games that are randomly a big game this year, but might not be a big game next year. 
do what you want. Wear whatever jersey. I like it. I wish it wasn't raining and it was clear skies at night because then it would just look cooler because they're actually doing a scarlet out with the crowd too. But you can't, I don't know how many people own a scarlet jacket and hat and coat. And so it's not going to look as cool, but I love these jerseys. I like the all white ones they did last year better though, because it was on the road and it was cold by the time they wore them. But yeah, I, I, I love ultimate jerseys, man. Show some creativity. I guess it'd be weird to me, like if somebody who liked all white or all gray or all black, but was like vehemently against all scarlet. Well, no, but I disagree with that because I do think there's a tomato factor here. Yeah. Like the tomato factor, I think, is looming over this game because like all gray can look cool and all white. Like, right. Sometimes you would wear all white. Sometimes you would wear all gray. Sometimes you would wear all black. If you put on scarlet from head to toe and walk down the street, People would be like, look, there's a tomato. So I, I'm, I am wondering about. The helmet really pops out. I'll say that because I'm looking at the picture. They have a Chris up and it's a scarlet background, too. It's just like his head is floating. <laughs> so it's, it's weird. I do wish I wish Penn State was wearing all blue because then it would really look cool. Oh, yeah. Red against blue. But like it's possible, like it's possible that even the coolest guys, Stephen. Yeah. I wonder if they'll be able to look cool in all scarlet. I do wonder about that, which is why I drew a distinction. To me, there's a distinction because when you lean in to scarlet, I think there's a bit of a risk. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Uh, It it might. The fact that it's night might help because if this were a noon game and they were wearing all scarlet, it'd probably look ugly. Yeah. All right. I'm curious about it. Love it one easily. Love it. And, and again, the edges are always about the, about the edges. Love it. 57%. Don't like it was last at 9%. So that's what matters. Like six times more people are totally for it than totally against it. 20%. I like the all color uniforms, but I'm worried about the all scarlet, which is sort of where I would be. And 14%. I don't care. But 57% to 9% on the two ends, I think tells you that people are kind of, jacked for this all right iowa wisconsin i i again i forgot that it was even being played and i forgot how potentially important this is our texas it's a and iowa by the way who like a couple weeks ago was the number two team in the country is now in a three and a half point dog at wisconsin and all we said all year is wisconsin sucks so wisconsin has lost to michigan penn state and notre dame so like I don't know. Maybe Wisconsin has been hiding here. They have the number one ranked defense in the country. According to SP plus, they still run it. Maybe they've been hiding here. They're favored at home against Iowa. 72% of the texters picked Iowa. Nathan, what are, what are we to make of this game? Is it just like, I don't know what to make of it. Who cares? Let them play. And then the winner, you can give them directions to Indy. Well, I just, I want to correct one thing. Like, all along, we've said that Wisconsin's offense sucks, but I don't think anyone's ever said Wisconsin's defense sucks. I mean, Wisconsin's defense has been legitimate all season long. Even teams that have gone to Wisconsin and won this year had to work to do it a little bit. That Notre Dame score, well, actually, that was on a neutral field, but it was, it, it's a little bit misleading when Notre Dame scored late to kind of open that up, and Penn State had a tough game there. Um, so, I, I don't know. I mean, I think they're, they're kind of the same team a little bit. They seem to both be really good defensively. They seem to both be really limited offensively. So I might, I might take like Wisconsin to win this game ten to six. He's just gonna say that whoever wins this game is gonna win it like ten to six or nine to three or something like that. I'm taking Iowa plus the points. 
Yeah, I mean, I could see like Kirk Ferentz, if he can't get his guys up for this, it's like, what are you doing? Um, but just again, so people know Iowa and Minnesota are three and one in the Big Ten. Wisconsin and Purdue are two and two. And Wisconsin just beat Purdue last week. So Wisconsin has Minnesota and Iowa ahead. Iowa this week and then Minnesota. So like the path, it, like if you get into a three-way tie, I'm not exactly sure, but I basically think it, the idea is that if Wisconsin wins out, Wisconsin's in. And Minnesota-Wisconsin is the last game of the season. So it, it might come down to that. So here we are. Hey, we like eh, Wisconsin. Oh, Graham Mertz stinks up. My, like it might be Ohio State, Wisconsin, the Big Ten championship game again. So I'll take just Iowa. Keep rotating it. Wisconsin and Northwestern just going to keep rotating to the end of time. Oh, my God. James Franklin's ears are burning. Let me in the West. Dear God, please let Penn State in the West. I'll take Iowa with not much belief because I'm totally out on Iowa. I am 100% totally out on Iowa, but they might be able to scrape together a, a 12 to 8 win in this one. All right, we will be there in Ohio Stadium on Saturday night. Make sure you're reading our stories leading up to that game. Nathan, we got uh, gotten a pretty big one from you, potentially dropping here either Friday or Saturday. Yeah, I'm 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 working on this feature on Tyreek Smith. I think it'll probably be up uh, Friday morning, so people should look for that. And I'm also working on uh, a look at what we talked about earlier, just kind of um, a little bit closer look at this Penn State secondary and what it means for Ohio State to finally be playing somebody with a good secondary. All right. Try the text at 614-350-3315. Would love some more reviews. Saw a five-star in there that was like, Steven was right. Everybody was excited. Got us a five-star, Steven. So well done on that. Um, Read cleveland.com slash Buckeye Talk. And listen to the playoff show. College football playoff show this week, the Wednesday one available on all podcast platforms. Lots of Ohio State, Penn State talk. Even more Michigan-Michigan State talk than we did here. And also some thoughts about Oregon, which does matter to Ohio State fans as well. For Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug LaMaurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.